Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Uh, Let me say welcome to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here at the room. Uh, Can I give you a little warning? Over the next couple months, we're going to change up the service order a little bit. Um, You're going to notice some changes on church307.com and how we do our live streaming, and we've received some feedback. We've tried some things, and we're going to just kind of blow up the whole system. And it's going to change a lot. So just be ready. Some changes are coming uh, in the way that we live stream our services and, and some other offerings that are happening through Church 307. And that will change our service orders on Sunday morning. Uh, and you'll begin to see some changes in that. Also, when you came in today, there was a survey on your seat. I have a typo on there. It says Life Groups 2021. We're in 2023 now, so uh, you can just ignore that. If you take that survey and drop it in the bucket on your way out, that would be great. So my name is Mike, and uh, I'm happy to be with you today. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I just saw some new faces today, and uh, I'd love to meet you if if you want to come up here and chat after the service or something like that. Today, I'm going to talk about something that is somewhat controversial, at least in Christian circles. And some of you are going to hear what I am going to say, and you're going to disagree with me on one side of the argument. And others of you are going to hear what I say and disagree with me on the other side of the argument. I I feel like the position I'm taking is somewhat a moderate position, and I feel like the position I'm taking is the biblical position. However, this is a topic that I believe we can disagree on and still worship God together and still serve God together. This is not something that we have to find full agreement on, but I think it is valuable to us. It is helpful for us to have the conversation. Some of my best friends, some of my family members, people that I serve God with on a regular basis disagree with me on this conversation, but we love God all the same and we work to serve him all the same. We don't have to have agreement on this one. Okay, the topic for today is this one. Don't forget to feast. Don't forget to feast. Now, you can't feast all the time. That's called gluttony. But periodically, there are times in our lives when good things happen, when God works in our lives, that we choose to set up an altar, to to mark a milestone, to say, this is a special day. We are going to feast. In fact, we're going to feast continually in in, in anniversaries to celebrate this event that God has done. Does anybody remember what Jesus's first miracle was? Somebody be brave. Water to wine. Jesus turned water into wine and he did it at a a wedding, a wedding ceremony, a wedding feast. So Jesus's first miracle was at a feast, at at a celebration. And we ask ourselves the question, Jesus, why wine? If you're going to inaugurate your ministry in some way, why do it with wine? Well, Scripture does not give us a clear answer to that question, but I have some guesses. Can I share with you my guesses? My, my first guess is that it was first to honor his mother. You'll read in the story that it was Jesus' mother that asked him to turn the water into wine. It's the fifth commandment of the, ten, the big ten commandments. Um, honor your father and mother. And then it, there's a promise And things will go well with you. Blessings will come as a result of honoring your father and mother. When I was 
in college, I used to beg my parents, please, what should I do here? Give me some advice. I'd say, well, ask the Lord. I'd be like, I am. I'm asking you and he'll bless it if you tell me what to do. So I would beg my parents, please just give me some advice so I can follow it because I truly believed. And I, to this day, I truly believe that when I would follow my parents' advice, that he would bless that advice, whether it was good or advice or not. And in following it, I received the Lord's blessing. I believe that God blesses our decisions, our parents and our parents. And that's part of what's doing. I also think he, think he saw you in keeping the party going. He saw value in this celebration. Wedding celebrations in Jesus's day were much cooler than ours. Wedding celebrations in Jesus's day went on for at least a week, sometimes much longer than that. They knew how to party and Jesus loved the party, right? I mean, look at the old covenant and look at the, the celebrations that were so central to their calendar, central to remembering what God had done in their past. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But before we do, let's jump in. Here's the story on location in Israel. I am at Cana where Jesus performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. So I'll read that story in John 2, starting in verse 1. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servant, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and had 20 to 30 gallons in each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Usually a host serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus's first display of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Jesus made 180 gallons of wine that day. I don't know if you saw in the video those big stone jars that they would use. They've found, they've discovered some of these jars that they would use for these celebrations. And they're not positive. They're the exact jars that Jesus would have used, but potentially. 180 gallons. That's 900 bottles of wine on the wall. 900 bottles of wine. Take them down. Question, what are we going to do when we go to heaven? What are we going to do there? Feast. The Bible is very vague on what heaven is like and what we're going to do there. There is one thing that, this, that scripture tells us that we are going to do in heaven. Partay. That's what we're going to do. So why are we so dull? Why are we so angry? Why are we so divisive? What is it about us that makes us want to be judgmental and, and hateful? And what, what, where was the disconnect between God's commands to his people and the way we live our lives on a regular basis, Christians? Jesus says that everyone is invited 
to a feast in the kingdom of, of heaven. Remember the story of Nehemiah? So the Israelites uh, are exiled to Babylon. They're taken off as slaves. Eventually, some things happen, geopolitical things happen, and, and the, the Jews are able to return back to Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem, and they rebuild the wall around their city. And then what happens? Nehemiah says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is your strength? Like, like if I'm positive, if, I, if I'm optimistic, if I am joyful, then I have more strength, he is saying. This is actually scientifically proven to be true. More positive, optimistic, joyful people live more successful lives, period. It is undeniable in all scientific research. Are you a positive person? Joy is strength, especially when it comes from the Lord. See, when God set up the old covenant with the Jews, he's designing for them a calendar. So every year you should do these things and you should go to these places and do these sacrifices. And one of the things that he set up in their calendar was he said, you need to regularly celebrate seven festivals every single year, seven festivals. And each one of them will help you remember something that God did in your past. God is so faithful and you need to remind yourselves because sometimes you will start to doubt it. God is good to us. Remind yourself how he has been good. King David wrote within that whole scenario, he said, God makes grass grow from the, for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. So what is David doing here? He's painting a picture of paradise. He's actually using the Garden of Eden, the garden metaphor, as, to describe what it will look like for us to again live with God in paradise. God wants us back in the garden with him as he was with Adam. God takes us back to the garden where we have everything we need whenever we need it, fully relying on him, yet never in need of anything. Psalm 104 says, he continues, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. In other words, he's saying, paradise, this is what I want for you. I want you happy, healthy, and smoking hot. That's what he wants. That's his desire for you. Look forward to it. It's coming and why wine? He gives us a clarification here. For glad hearts. In other words, God makes some things in our world just purely for enjoyment. We're back in the garden. Now, I'm not recommending that you drink. I'm not saying that everybody should drink. I'm just saying that sometimes God gives us good gifts that we can use well or poorly. And I'm also recognizing the reality that when I talk to most of you, just about all of you do drink. The good news is scripture gives us some very helpful advice about how to drink. But because the 
holiness movement went with the total prohibition strategy, like never drink, it's all bad. As a result of that message, we were never able to teach people how to drink. What are some wise ways to drink? And to be honest with you, I've been in a lot of conversations with with people lately that while in the fellowship of this church and while in the fellowship of other churches have fallen into alcoholism. Now, that's on you. But also, I think as the church, we have a part to play in teaching some wise biblical advice about how to drink. And so when I started writing a message about here's some what scripture, and it's very helpful, like pretty blatant in scripture about how to drink. When I started writing that message, the tradition that I'm from would like me to just say, don't do it. But it is very difficult for me to be honest and tell you in one sentence not to drink. And then in the next sentence, tell you to be more like Christ. Christ didn't get the memo that Christians don't drink, apparently, because he did a lot. And it's all throughout scripture. And so when I tell you not to drink and then be like Christ and you're reading scripture and Jesus is, it looks dishonest and it is dishonest. So I'd rather take a step back and say, okay, what does scripture say? Not just don't do it, but do it wisely if you're going to do it. Here's the history in our background. In 1869, Thomas Welch, a Methodist pastor, invented a method of pasteurizing grape juice without fermentation and persuaded churches to abstain from alcohol. Now, this is not the whole story. There's much more prohibition history that goes into this whole conversation. But if you've ever wondered, well, where Welch's grape juice comes from, it was us. Our denomination, our people, and I'm just mad I haven't gotten a royalty check yet because I'm sure they're making some money. And I think there are some good motivations here. Because is wine dangerous? Absolutely. But up until this point, the largest vineyards in the world were owned by churches. Up until this point, it was just, there was never, the prohibition movement was new to the church. We served wine in our communion, because Jesus, that's how he did it. But then we recognize it has some, it causes pain. Often it causes pain. Misused, it causes pain. So is it dangerous? Absolutely. But it can be good. It can be used well. And we cannot add to scripture just because we think something is dangerous. If Jesus thought the best strategy was just say never drink, he would have said that. But that's not what he said. When we add rules to scripture, we damage our witness. Now, I don't understand it. I don't understand why scripture doesn't tell us not to drink. But that's what it says. So I can't add to it a rule that says don't drink unless I want to have a disconnect there, right? So let me tell you what scripture has taught me about drinking. I see in scripture that God made two kinds of trees. We're talking particularly about the Garden of Eden. He made some trees for food. What happened? There we go. We're all over the place. Keep going. 
There you go. He made some trees in Adam's garden for food. Actually, all the trees were, were there. Not all the trees. There are trees that don't have fruit, but to sustain you. And literally, the tree of life in the middle of the garden of Eden will sustain you forever. Use it for sustenance. But then there's another tree in the garden. What was it? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this tree was not meant to be used for sustenance. You can look at it, enjoy its beauty, but don't eat of its fruit. In other words, some trees are meant just purely for beauty, for our enjoyment. You can enjoy its beauty, but don't eat it. It's dangerous. I think with alcohol, what we've done is we've mixed the purposes. We tend to drink alcohol like it's food, like somehow it's going to sustain us instead of sipping it and enjoying its beauty. So how do we enjoy the beauty of wine? Well, three ways. Be careful how you drink. This is a biblical encouragement to you in drinking. Some drinking habits and some drinks themselves are designed just purely to get you drunk. And I would say, Avoid those habits. Avoid those, drink, those drinks. Don't get drunk. Remember, the Apostle Paul said, don't be drunk on wine because that will ruin your life. And we're not playing word games here. He's not saying, well, you can't get drunk on wine, but you can get drunk on bourbon. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, drunkenness, don't do it. We'll get into this more later. Don't take it too far. Just like feasting, if you do it too much, it's gluttony. You, you, you do it wisely and you place limits on yourself. This applies to alcohol. You can enjoy it, but don't misuse it because if you misuse it, then you will take what can give you a glad heart and turn it into a sad heart. Like Adam did with the apple. And then we would say, be careful where you drink. Don't drink alcohol around alcoholics. Scripture is pretty clear on this one. If your drinking is tempting someone else to get drunk, if your drinking is causing someone else to stumble, then don't drink. The Apostle Paul said, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat as long as I live. Because there were those who chose not to eat meat. So they said, I won't eat around them. I won't tempt them. For I don't want to cause another believer, believer to stumble. If you struggle with alcoholism, if you are tempted to overdrink, we don't want to make you stumble. We want to help you. Come to us. Let's talk. Let's build each other up. Not, not tempt each other. Because if you've ever been addicted to alcohol, the strategy here isn't just drink a little bit. The strategy here for you is run as far away from it as you possibly can. In that case, scripture would give you the advice of total abstinence. Run from it. And I'll add to this one, but I'll admit that this is more something that I've experienced uh, and, and seen as wise in people's lives. It's not a biblical mandate, but I would say, I think it's valuable for many of us to choose not to drink alone. I'm not saying it's a sin to drink alone, 
But if God gave us wine for the purpose of fellowship and for the purpose of celebration, then those things aren't done best in solitude. They are done best in community. And good community can celebrate with us. They can also help hold us accountable in drinking responsibly. The third thing I see in scripture is be careful why you drink. And this is the one that's going to, I think, disqualify a lot of the drinking habits that some of us have. Don't use drinking as an escape. Don't use drinking to cover up your problems, to ignore your problems. It does not work. It makes your problems worse. Maybe it delays the inevitable. It just delays the inevitable. Maybe it, but it makes them worse. It just adds problem on top of problem because drinking cannot fix your problems. It just allows your brain to quit thinking about them for a minute. Proverbs tells us who has anguish, who has sorrow. This is not a glad heart. Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Does that sound like scripture? Have you read this verse recently? It was like, yes, I memorized that one. No, you didn't. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup. This is called lusting. How smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. Any amens? You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. It's covering up the pain. The bruise is still there. The broken bone is still there, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? I know a lot of people who have struggled with alcoholism who can identify way too much with this verse. If you are turning to alcohol to cover up your pain, then you're just causing more pain. You're delaying it, but you're making it worse. Because scripture is very clear. Where should we turn in our pain? Where should we turn in our struggle? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Do you remember how the people reacted after Jesus turned water into wine? When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. In other words, drinking makes you dumber. Like, you, need, you use it correctly. You don't drink right before making a big decision in your life, right? This is not its purpose. And then he said, but you have kept the best until now. In other words, Jesus, he doesn't just make wine. Jesus makes the best wine. 
Jesus' opening miracle healed no one. It just made people happy. So Christians, what happened to the party? Why did we kill it? Why, why is the church tempted by all this heavy-handed justice and anger and divi division? Christians are called to live joyfully under God's grace, under his goodness, under his joy, his peace that passes understanding. When we experience pain, when we have trauma in our lives, we run to him, not to some escape. And escapes come in many forms. Escapes come in the form of relationships or hobbies or entertainment, drugs, alcohol, food. Don't escape. Run to Christ. Because Jesus' introduction of the kingdom of God is a feast. It's fun. It's a celebration. The wedding in Cana is a glimpse of the new kingdom. It is a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth. It is a time for Christians to learn how to enjoy and celebrate the, God, the gift of grace that God brought to our world. People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of their labor. For these are gifts from God. Yes, gifts must be enjoyed responsibly, but they still should be enjoyed. Your life is a gift. Enjoy it responsibly. And in this verse also is implied some hard work. The fruit of the labor comes after the work has been done. We have something to celebrate after we work, after we are diligent you know what God's first command was? We talked about his first miracle. What was his first command? It's in the Garden of Eden. He's talking to Adam and Eve. Very first command. He says, eat freely. The first human experience is a feast. And then you look at the end of the Bible. And what is God's last command in the Bible? His last command is drink freely. So we have eat freely and we have drink freely and the rest is an invitation to a feast with God, a celebration with him of his goodness when we are weak, of his strength when we are weak, of his healing when we are sick. 60 years ago, the average dinner time was 90 minutes at the table. Today, it's less than 12 we're forgetting how to do community. We're forgetting how to fellowship, how to celebrate together. And it is why we believe that we so desperately need, you know where I'm going, life groups. Life is hard. So sometimes you just need to take time to enjoy some Christian fellowship. You need people who can build you up. You need people who can support you when you are struggling. You need fellowship, and it can't just happen on Sunday mornings. Are you in a life group yet? If not, why? 
And if, if you're not in a life group because you say, well, I tried it and it didn't work out well, try again. Yeah, there are some screwed up groups. That's just reality. We're human. Or sometimes relationships don't mix well or whatever it is. Try again. Do it, everyone. Or if you're saying, I'm in, not in a life group because, uh, well, I looked and I couldn't find one that I liked, then keep looking or start your own. Like, Go out of your way. Don't just hope that it easily falls in your lap. Don't say, well, I hope somebody invites me. Seek it out. Make it a priority. Join a life group right now, today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't think you'll do it next week. Do it now. Because scripture is very clear about the value of our gathering together. And it's one thing to do it in rows, but not much fellowship can happen like this. You can learn some stuff. You can worship God like this, but not much fellowship is happening. I should say not enough fellowship is happening in these rows. That's why we say circles are better than rows. Eat meals together, play games together, tell stories to each other, give your testimony to each other, give each other stupid nicknames or whatever you got to do to build community. Do you remember what the first communion was like? It wasn't just let's get together and drink some wine and eat a piece of bread. It was a feast. It it was the Passover dinner. Don't forget to feast. Jesus at the Passover dinner is celebrating how God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and and that God had set them free. So every year they'd get together to celebrate the Passover, to remember what God had done, to remember the Exodus story. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. That's why we do communion. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So what's the example here? Get together in circles. Now, I'm not talking literal. You don't have to set up in a circle. Like actually the table Jesus was sitting at was like a U shape. Metaphorically, we're talking get together in conversational structures. Get together in circles. And number two, remember Jesus when you do. Talk about Jesus. Talk about what he's done in your life. Talk about your past. Give testimonies. So I'd say God gave us wine to remember, not to forget. Don't mix the purposes. To celebrate together and remember the good things that God has done. We're going to take communion today to remember. But I think there's more to this than what we do here on Sunday mornings. This command to do this in remembrance of me. I think Jesus was actually telling us, literally telling us, to celebrate holidays. Holidays are a gift from God. Can I get an amen? I am... One, to go back to Christmas right now. Like, why can we just do that for two months? Maybe. Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, they are spiritual events. They are valuable. They are important, but it's not just them. Christians, we should celebrate birthdays. We should celebrate anniversaries. Happy anniversary, Bays. We should celebrate baptism anniversaries. Holidays remind us to feast and they help us to remember the good things that God has done.
want to read a story to you. Three times a month, Jermaine Washington and Michelle Stevens get together for what they call a gratitude lunch. That's because Jermaine donated a kidney to Michelle. He said, she was just a friend, but I couldn't stand to see her suffer. They met at work where they used to have lunch together. One day, Michelle wept as she spoke about waiting on a kidney donor list for 11 months. She was being sustained by kidney dialysis, but suffered chronic fatigue and blackouts and was plagued by joint pain. Because Washington couldn't stand the thought of watching his friend die, he gave her one of his kidneys. Michelle said, when you've got something great to be thankful for, having a gratitude lunch is a great way to celebrate. So today, let's see our communion time together as a gratitude lunch. Gratitude to a God who came to the world to die for us, whose body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be healed and sanctified made anew by God himself. So today we're going to sing a song. You can come forward to any one of these four tables. The outside tables have gluten-free options if you need those. There's two tables up in the balcony. You can come uh, anytime during this song. You'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the, this is juice, not wine. You'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the juice. You can eat it there at the table and then return to your seat. But as you do this, set your eyes on heaven and say thank you. Whether you say it verbally or privately to yourself, say thank you to God for his gift of grace. Because the reality is we don't always use the gifts that God gives us wisely. The reality is we mess up. We screw up. We go too far. All of us have. All of us have fallen short and we all need forgiveness. And the gift of grace that we celebrate today is the gift to you that says no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how you drank, his grace is available to you. His love is unconditional and it is sufficient to forgive you of all unrighteousness and to begin to sanctify you, to begin to make you new. So today we say, Jesus, thank you. And if you've not yet begun a relationship with him, if you've not received his gift of grace, if you have not been forgiven of your sins, today's the day. Don't put it off. Have a conversation with somebody. Let them know that you're ready to make that decision to start a relationship with Jesus. Grab the card from the seat in front of you and it says, I have decided and check the box on there that says, I'm ready to become a Christian. I'm ready to follow Christ. I'm ready to make him Lord of my life. Today, let us know by filling out that card. We'll send you some information in in an email about some next steps that you can take and some videos that will tell you about the decision that you're making. You can fill out that card and drop it in the box in the back of the room. God, I thank you for your blessings. I pray that you would give us strength to continue to become more like you. I pray that you would surround us by wise fellowship, Christian friends who can hold us accountable, who can build us up, 
God, when we're weak, we run, I pray that you would give us the courage to run to them and run to you and nowhere else. God, give us the courage to speak truth into other people's lives and in the fellowship of believers when we see each other stepping out of line that we can step in and, and give wise advice, give wise counsel and in love give instruction to build each other up. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.